trailblazer, serially successful fintech vet, and a shaper of the industry's future. Those are some takeaways I had from my conversation with Randy Bullard, the general manager of wealth management for SigFig. SigFig is one of the industry's early players in the digital financial advice space, starting out by going directly to consumers and now providing its elegant technology to financial advisors. Some big names like UBS and Citizens Financial have adopted the SigFig tech. But before SigFig, Randy pioneered the UMA industry, co-founding Placemark and building the platform over 11 years before selling it to a name you know, InvestNet. Randy is often asked to speak on the future of the industry and how technology will shape our firm's future. And today, we are lucky enough to have that crystal ball conversation on our future with the man himself, Randy Bullard. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Yeah, Randy, thanks again for uh, for joining us. Um, you know, our, our history goes way back. Uh, I remember those placemark days uh, as well. Yeah, we partnered really closely with you guys uh, at Wella, and, and we're working with you in, in uh, a variety of different firms. Yeah, it yeah. was uh, those were fun days. The early kind of the early UMA days back in the, the mid two thousands, really, you know, kind of pushing a, a new innovation envelope. Pretty different from what we're doing now, but there's also a lot of a lot of parallels and analogies that, that can be drawn. And it seems like we always seem to follow you know follow one another, or we may be following you. I don't know how it goes, but we're always finding ourselves in. Uh, in similar um, kind of uh, lanes as, as you kind of evolve your your path as well. So um, thanks again. You're joining us from Texas, Texas, where you are. You're born and bred Texan, huh? Yeah, yeah. Born and raised here, and my family goes back multiple generations. And uh, you know, I keep getting out of here and traveling to other places, but but uh, Dallas and, and Texas have always been home. Yeah, and you, uh, and so as a Texan, when I think about a Texan, right, I think of a cowboy, right? I think of, of you know, that type of mentality, which which you are as an outdoor cooker, but you also have another side. Uh, you enjoy the kind of the simplicities of yoga and the uh, and and the calmness that that brings. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My 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 wife has uh, has kind of been twisting my arm for a few years, and you know, I, I swore yoga was not the kind of thing I would ever do, but in the last year. Uh, she finally strong-armed me into going, and I really enjoyed it. There's something about uh, the quietness and uh, the simplicity of it, uh, and also it's a great workout. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and doing it quite a bit these days. Both ends of the spectrum, which is great. Well, let's dive into this, and I'm excited to kind of, from your seat being in uh, with a with a growing company like SigFig and your history with Placemark, uh, I'm excited to kind of get your insight in where our industry is heading, right? Where we are, where advisors are kind of missing the gap and where they can get better. Uh, hopefully after this conversation, they have a few takeaways there. And so let's just start right there with the current state of the industry. We have a ton of innovation that's happening, but it's really still yet to fully infiltrate all advisors. Why? Do you think so many advisors are hesitant or, or maybe just slow to adopt innovation that is occurring in our industry right now? You know, I think financial advisors, you know, they don't wake up and think that the way they do business and their practice and how they service their clients is broken. They don't, you know, uh, advisors or professionals have been doing what they do for a while. They've built up very often a, a successful business. And so they don't, 
you know, they don't, they don't feel like, gosh, I need to fix things. I need to change things as a function of, you know, digital advice and, and digital wealth management technology and, and just general consumer digital adoption. And so it's one of those things that, uh, you know, the, the impact of digital on wealth management service is really an externality to most uh, financial advisors. And uh, rather than something that they feel innately, you know, something that they need to do within their practice for their own clients. Uh, and it's really not until some externality really kind of forces it into their practice, either losing a key client to a digital competitor or um, kind of being asked difficult questions. Why do I have to do things this way when other firms can do things other ways? It's usually some external force um, that really brings it to the forefront for a financial advisor. Um, and, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it's rare the financial advisor that proactively independent of some external force kind of wakes up and says, hey, there's probably a better way to do some of the things that we're doing. And I'm going to go and look for what that is and, and, and adopt it. It's usually something that's really brought uh, from an external pressure or market pressure or competitive situation, a loss of a client, something like that. I, I think that that's kind of, that's more of like a reactive nature, right? Where, where people yeah. are reacting to something and, and you're out there talking to plenty of advisors. You're talking with big broker dealers. You're talking with, you've talked with RAs in the past and, um, You've seen those that are open to innovation and those that are really reacting to innovation. What's the difference that you find of those that, relative to those that react, those that are accepting of innovation within their firm on an ongoing basis? What are what are some of those kind of um, profiles of those firms that that make them so adopting of innovation? Yeah. Um, you know, in the kind of let's call it early adopter pro technology camp, you know, I, I kind of see two different profiles. There's what I call emerging advisors, uh, you know, young advisors that are growing. Uh, they don't have a big established book of business. They're not sitting on their laurels. They really need to grow. Uh, they tend to be younger. And, and so they're, they're technology forward. They're, they're, they're technology forward in their life, not just in their business. And so, you know, they, they look at maybe legacy processes and systems and, and investment solutions, and they kind of shake their head and say, there's got to be a better way. Um, and, and there is a better way. And so they find it. Um, so emerging advisors, and, and, and there are a lot of firms really, you know, the wires and the really big uh, institutions that are creating very deliberate, you know, kind of well-structured emerging advisor programs and platforms for, for advisors that kind of want to start off, let's say, clean with a digital engagement model. Um, and then there are advisors that um, have grown. They've got very large established practices, but um, they don't kind of hit that plateau. My, I, I find that advisors, you know, they build their practice and then they get to a stage where their practice is large and profitable and they actually don't need to grow anymore to have a successful practice. And so very often advisors, when they get to that point, could be eight years, 10 years, 15 years into their practice, advisors kind of hit a critical decision point. Do they push through that and continue to grow? Or do they say, no, you know what, I've got the business that I want, I'm going to monetize it, I'm going to focus on quality of life and, uh, you know, and making sure that I'm servicing my clients well. And that's an important kind of inflection point in the, um, you know, the evolution of a, of a practice and, and advisors and firms that push through that and say, no, 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 even though I'm a successful practice, I've got a good client base, I'm serving them well, um, I need to push to the next level. And, and when they take that mindset um, digital very often is the way they go. Maybe they, they may not be of the age or the demographic that naturally embraces it, but they're astute business people and they realize that in order to kind of get that next level of 
um, growth. Um, they really have to embrace uh, digital wealth technology and figure out how it is that they evolve, how it is that they do what they do. And so that's where you see, you know, the Edelmans of the world and, you know, firms that really are, uh, you know, advisory practices that have just adopted technology. And even though they're a very, let's say, mature, stable practice, they've pushed through and really, you know, kind of embrace technology uh, to, to change how it is that they service their clients. And then, you know, the ones that aren't doing it are, are kind of the ones that I was talking about. There are a lot of advisors that have been at the game a long time and they built up a successful book of business and they're just happy. And they really, you know, change is hard, change is complicated. It can be expensive and it can apply risk. And so they tend to just kind of say, you know what, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to focus on minimizing risk and, and, and kind of maximizing, you know, kind of lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a, uh, it's kind of a trend that's starting to emerge within financial advisors, at least from our seat that we see is like, it, it, we're going from being a family lifestyle business to the really successful firms starting to figure out how to business size or businessization of their practices. That's and, absolutely and, and correct. Turn yeah. a financial advisor into a business as opposed to just a, uh, a family run lifestyle business. And, uh, and that's exactly the people that are they're they've reached that hurdle and they're innovating they're doing that That's yeah important. yeah you're you're absolutely right um and, and so you know talking about trends conferences for the past five or ten years have been talking about the trends of the robos they've been talking about the generational shift of wealth um and they've talked about you know uh, some of the innovations that are happening within the etf space and some of these yeah. other innovations like generational shift of wealth for instance is something that's going to happen over 20 or 30 years and advisors are saying I don't need to build my practice for this right now because it's not going to happen while I'm still here. That's for the younger partners to, to deal with. But the innovation or the trend that's happening in technology is more immediate from that standpoint. Why do you think that that impact is going to be so much more relevant to advisors as one of those trends that is actually going to impact you while you're still practicing uh, your business? Uh, it really because it's, it's consumer driven. You know, all of those other industry shifts uh, be it, you know, kind of uh, generational wealth shifts or, uh, you know, ETF adoption. Those are all kind of uh, either, you know, just things that are fixed to the calendar and they're just reality of where we are um, or they're, you know, kind of, let's call it industry inside developments and changes uh, that aren't necessarily consumer driven, even if they're good for consumers. But, you know, digital is really very much a consumer, you know, driven thing. Um, you know, no consumer uh, downloads and installs Uber. Uh, uses it for the first time, uh, and then deletes the app and says, ah, I'm going to go back and start hailing cabs again. That just doesn't happen. Um, uh, digital adoption is a one-way curve, uh, and it's very steep. And, you know, it, it was probably as recently as two or three years ago, you heard, you know, kind of the general sentiment uh, among financial advisors is that robo-advisors and digital wealth uh, uh, options uh, are really not a competitive threat. My clients are loyal to me. They're not asking for that. Um, that's something that's for down market demographics or, or what have you, or digital inclined millennials, fill in the blank. Um, you really don't hear that anymore. I think every practice now realizes, regardless of where they are in their practice evolution, that, um, that they have to evolve how it is that they engage their clients and deliver service in the face of kind of growing digital adoption in, in all industries and in all demographics. It's not, a, it's not a millennial thing. It's not a down market thing. Um, and it's really interesting as we've 
is we've launched digital wealth programs. Most of the programs that we at SIGFIG have launched have, have primarily, at least the starting point of our of the programs that we've launched has been a direct-to-consumer digital wealth offering. Um, and what we find is we launched that direct-to-consumer digital wealth offering, uh, and it's a great uh, client experience. Consumers love it. Adoption is strong. And almost immediately, I mean, almost the day after we launch it, the financial advisors in the institution that we're partnering with start to say, well, well, why is it that that our, those consumers, you know, which are very often our smaller uh, customers, have access to such a great client experience? I want that for my clients. And so it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where they didn't ask for it initially, but once they realize what the option is, once they realize what a digital consumer experience is around wealth, um, they then very eagerly say, gosh, I want that within my practice. My clients want it. I want it. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, I, I think a lot of the developments and energy in the market the last five, eight years around robo-advice really are going to, as much as anything, um, move the entire industry to broad digital adoption within the core, let's call it the traditional financial advisor model. Yeah. And I think that your point about it being consumer driven is really powerful, right? And and I think that that's something uh, that, you know, as you know, talking with advisors and I've seen talking with advisors is that they always say, well, my clients don't want that. They don't want a digital uh, experience. They don't want to be texting with me. They don't want. But then I ask them the one simple question. I say, have you asked them? if they want that. And they say no. And so, so often we kind of try to, uh, we drive it as opposed to letting the consumers drive it in, in terms of our innovation. And so, yeah, I think that when looking back at when you started Placemark, you're inventing a new, a new industry, a new platform, a new technology. Um, and I'm sure just like the robo world has done and what, you know, Mike and SigFig team started out with as well is trying to get that adoption. Um, did you face similar challenges when you were growing Placemark? And, and how did you ultimately overcome those to help advisors get to the other side? You know, it was similar, but also different, as you would imagine. I mean, you know, uh, Placemark kind of invented the unified managed account structure. And, and then we built the unified managed account programs for, you know, broker dealers and wealth management firms uh, across the U.S. and Canada, big and small including independent RIAs. And, uh, and that was, you know, a lot of fun and it was interesting. Uh, but it, that was very much kind of, an in, uh, you know, kind of inside the industry plumbing solution. It wasn't, you know, you didn't have any consumers saying, gosh, I wish I had a UMA. Why don't I have a UMA? Um, it was really, you know, we, we were fixing and improving uh, at a deep structural level how fee-based wealth management service was being delivered. And it was a very powerful innovation. Um, uh, I think to a degree, selling and, and driving advisor adoption was a little bit easier because it was inside the industry. You know, advisors, you could show an advisor, hey, here's how you're using whatever you're using, separate accounts or Repis PM constructed models or fund wrap programs or whatever. And it wasn't hard to say, here's what a UMA can do for you. And wouldn't you be better if you were using this kind of structure and servicing your clients? And, and it wasn't, you know, while there was a lot of, you know, kind of belly to belly selling and hand to hand combat, getting advisors to understand it, um, they did understand it. And, 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 and it spoke to them because it was kind of wonky. It was industry insighty. And a lot of advisors kind of fancy themselves portfolio managers. And, and so um, it spoke to them. Um, digital is, is, is very different. Uh, it certainly requires advisor change and advisor adoption. And so from that standpoint, um, it, uh, it's, it's similar. But again, it, it really, you know, uh, digital is really being driven by outside. It's really being put upon 
the industry by outside forces and by the customers of the industry. And so um, I think, it, and it's also a lot broader, you know, digital kind of touches everything, every client interaction, every touch point, any, every operational interaction, every solution that's architected, um, you know, digital can change how that happens and drive efficiency and improve the experience for both the advisor and the client. And so it's pervasive and it's outside driven and consumer driven. Um, and so, you know, it's similar, but it's also um, pretty different. And I'll also say it's very early. You know, I can look back at the UMA adoption curve and what does it take? What, you know, what did it take to make that happen? Um, and, and there's a lot of interesting stories there. But we're very much in the first inning um, uh, of how do financial advisors really adopt digital technology uh, to transform their practice. There's not an established, accepted model or practice. Different firms are doing it in different ways. Uh, each of the wires is, has either partnered or built some program. All the RIA custodial platforms have adopted and built and, and integrated various technologies. And so it's it's very much kind of wild west as far as what does digital mean to the traditional financial advisor practice. And I think it's going to be that way, you know, for a while. And so when you have such an unstructured market with so many vendors and so many options and so many different um, uh, uh, kind of advice models, it's, it's easy for an advisor to kind of decide to wait it out and just let things mature a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we definitely see some of that going on. Uh, but at the same time, I think people are realizing the market is evolving really, really fast. And, you know, this, this, this mentality around agile development technology uh, is permeating not just technology, but also business practice. The idea that rather than kind of figure out what the end state is around digital, it's really important for a financial advisor to establish a starting point mm -hmm. uh, and digitize some part of their practice and some part of their client engagement model and some part of their solution architecture. Um, and, and then learn and figure out, is that working? Do my clients like it? Is it delivering the operational efficiencies that I would have hoped? Is it allowing me to evolve and, and, and kind of improve my practice model? Uh, and so it's, it's very, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting, very dynamic market right now. Uh, and there certainly are some, some learnings from Placemark, but it's, it's also quite different. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that you're, I, I'm in a complete agreement with you uh, with regards to how early we are. And I think that that's what's making it so difficult for some advisors to get over that wait and see mentality, because I think there's a lot of advisors that want to do something, uh, but they have that tendency that they fall into when they invest, right? They don't invest in IPOs ten often because they wait and see what happens, right? What are they earning? Let's see the first quarter earnings. So for those advisors that are kind of on that edge, they're like, I want to, but I just don't know how to because it is an unstructured market. How could they dip their toe into, you know, digitizing a piece of their firm in some way uh, to start getting a feel for it and being okay and open to some of the early um, kinks that, that are in the process? Yeah, uh, you know, three or four things that I would suggest. One is, um, you know, every advisor that's, you know, trying to build a practice really should look at uh, the platform that they're using and you know if they're you know an independent ria look at your ria custodial partner uh they've all got you know kind of a, a technology consultancy group that will help you understand what are the options on the table uh and what are the preferred vendors that are you know kind of pre-integrated uh, that are available and so really evaluate what uh is being provided most readily 
uh, and you're kind of most readily available to you through your platform provider, be it your home office or your RA custodian or your broker dealer, you know, whoever that uh, whoever that is. And, and just get smart about what's there and, and, and what your options are. Um, another kind of important thing that I see uh, happening is you have to kind of establish a safe place to innovate and that, you know, safe place means looking at your client base and kind of segmenting or stratifying your clients and, and determining what, what, what's a subset of your practice that you can um, innovate with, with low risk um, and really kind of get some good learnings that you can then extrapolate to your broader practice. And for different firms, that means different things. Some firms say, well, my lower risk clients are going to be my smaller clients. Uh, or my lower risk clients are going to be millennials because, you know, they uh, they're going to be, you know, technologically inclined. And so, you know, I'll identify them um, and others go almost to the opposite end and say the safe customers for me to innovate are actually my strongest customers. My biggest customers have been with me the longest. They're willing to take risk with me. They're not going to go anywhere. Um, and, and, and I can get kind of truly honest, you know, feedback. Uh, from them on how things are going. Uh, so, you know, that means different things for different firms, but but I think really kind of looking at your business, looking at um, your, your existing book and understanding where can I introduce technology that allows me to learn and innovate without, you know, kind of uh, creating inordinate risk? What are the technologies that I actually have access to? Because it it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for an advisor to just you know, show up at the T3 conference or show up at some venue and, and just kind of blindly evaluate vendors. It's a lot better to operate within the ecosystem that you're already living in, whatever that ecosystem is, and evaluate vendors within that, um, that construct. And then I guess lastly, you know, um, you know, the financial advice business, the wealth management business um, is a team business. There, there are very, very few, you know, true solo operators, right? It's a team. You got a set of FAs, you got a set of critical support staff that really you and I know do uh, the majority of the work in a lot of instances. And so I, I think firms need to designate, you know, where they can and have a sufficient scale to do so. They need to kind of designate someone within their firm, probably not one of their FAs, maybe it's someone that's, you know, kind of in the support staff to be the leader around understanding these technologies and how they might apply and kind of uh, kind of working with the FA team in developing what we'll call, you know, kind of the new digital model um, and, and kind of being that owner and that point person, having that senior point of responsibility and authority and expertise within the firm, uh, I think is, 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 uh, is, is important. And, and, I, and usually there's somebody within every team that wants to go there, that is naturally inclined to go there, that's going to gravitate in that direction. Uh, and so finding who that person is, empowering them uh, to, you know, to kind of make decisions and experiment, um, de-risking the, the decisions that they make by being kind of, you know, very deliberate in, in where and how it's applied, I think are, are all things that the practices can and should do. Yeah, I love that. It's like a high potential employee that you, you haven't been able to exactly. give them that opportunity yet and you want to give them that. Opportunity. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool project, right? Hey, yeah. go and evaluate all the cool technologies, come up with a plan, present it to us. And here's, you know, let's carve off a set of our clients that we're going to engage in a new and different way. Um, and, and, you know, that's a really cool, fun, uh, project and, and it also carries you to the future. So it's a good way to go about it. Yeah. I love that. I want to wrap up with really two kind of questions. They're, they're a little bit, uh, 
together in a sense. But the business of financial advising, just like, uh, you know, it's complex. You got a lot of different people involved, but it's also a relationship business. And I think that some of the pushback, and I'm sure you've heard it, and that's why I want, I'm interested to hear how you kind of get around it, is saying, well, technology uh, dimin- or kind of minimizes that relationship, right, from that standpoint. Uh, but I, I'm not a believer of that. But how can advisors utilize technology to really enhance the relationship, actually spin that question around and actually make it a powerful enhancement to the relationship? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I go back and forth on on this because, you know, to, to a degree, um, you know, we you know, we appropriately emphasize the value and the importance of, of relationship and, and developing that relationship is important. But we also then translate that when, when a client calls in to request a copy of a statement, that that's relationship building. That's not relationship building. That's not a phone call that they wanted to make. And it's not a phone call you wanted to get. Um, and so, uh, you know, you know, kind of approximating all of the machinery and the interactions, the operational interactions with clients to relationship building is, is, is a misnomer. Um, you know, uh, advisors really should be looking to minimize the friction associated with operational service delivery and free up actual capacity for true relationship development. And that can take a lot of different forms. You know, uh, digital technology shouldn't replace knowing who your clients are and having good relationships and the phone call and understanding what's going on at a family level. Um, You know, so so I think, you know, digital shouldn't be viewed as, you know, necessarily changing the way that relationships are developed. Relationships still have to be developed for the most part, face to face or at least voice to voice. Um, and, And it's important. And digital, frankly, should allow you to do more of that because digital ought to make all of the other uh, kind of frictional elements of, um, uh, of delivering service much easier, much lighter, uh, much more efficient and kind of free up time and capacity for that, you know, for, for a combination of things. One is relationship to man, uh, management, but the other is kind of, you know, kind of clients with higher wealth complexity and edge cases. You know, at the end of the day, digital wealth management technology should be able to really streamline all of the operational and even the investment management and service elements of kind of core wealth management service and really allow advisors to apply their their most valuable finite resource, which is their own time in true relationship management rather than spreadsheets and the minutia of planning and making decisions for clients. Mm-hmm. No, I agree 100% with that. And so with that being kind of the, the, the lead in and us talking about how digital financial advice is really in the first inning or so, what does the financial advisor firm of the future look like five years from now or 10 years from now? Uh, how, how, do, how do they look different than they do today? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb a little bit because not everybody agrees with me on this. But I think, um, you know, the, 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 the mindset as recently as five or eight years ago is that the most precious resource you had was your time. And the way that you maximized your time was to raise your account minimums and prune your book to larger client relationships. Uh, and that that's the way you build a successful practice. And I think digital turns that on its head. Digital allows a practice to segment and stratify how it is that they service clients and allow clients to kind of digitally self-select how they want to be engaged. And so what's the result of that? The result is the practice of tomorrow, I think, does a couple of things very differently. One is they take all comers. The client that has got 30,000, 20,000, 15,000, 40,000, 
that client, while it may not be a very profitable relationship, you don't know if that's tomorrow's millionaire. And if you don't take them now, they're not going to come tomorrow when they have a million. They're going to stay where they are. They're going to stay at Vanguard PAS. They're going to stay at Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. They're going to go. They're going to stay wherever they are because those services are only getting better. So the practice of tomorrow has got to effectively take all clients and uh, or let's say all high potential clients. And it's hard to really understand whether any prospective client that potential is ultimately realized. So you have to have a very open and flexible model. And what that means is you have to have very different ratios and service models. You can't service you know, hundreds of $50,000 clients um, with the same model that you do with your, you know, dozens of million plus clients. And so you really have to kind of think through what's, what's a variated, you know, a stratified service model that has clients kind of digital first on one end, advisor led on the other, and kind of a smooth set of incremental services that, that kind of bridge those gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm working with a variety of different kind of advisor models, helping them think through how do they build towards that future model where instead of saying, I only have 150 clients, that's the most I can take. No, I have 400 clients. But what I'm doing is I'm changing how I'm engaging and servicing those different types of clients and reserving my capacity for the clients with higher wealth complexity, edge cases, you know, things that, you know, and, and, and true relationship development where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, t- technology makes an advisor be able to impact more families and do so in a more profitable way. And I think that that's yeah. kind of the, the, uh, the, the future that it has. And so, um, I, and I agree with you. And, and I want to get into uh, a, a rendition of buy or sell. This is my way of bringing financial advisors uh, mentality of investment management into this podcast on innovation. And so I'll give you four statements. You say buy or sell. Let's see if you're a bull or a bear uh, and how I kind of plotted it out for you. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we can talk about it. So we can spend about a minute on each of those. Uh, and the first one, I, we actually already talked about. So I'm, uh, it's kind of a, a softball, but buy or sell. We're still in the first couple of innings of the digital innovation happening in our industry. And to elaborate on that, I want to ask why you are one way or the other on that one. Well, you know, obviously uh, I'm, I'm a buy on that. I think we're very much in the early. And I, and I think, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I couldn't have necessarily uh, predicted it uh, at the time, but robo advice um, has been a, an, an amazing um positive development for the financial advisory industry only in so far is it has finally gotten enough you know adoption and energy behind it that it's forcing the core traditional full service industry to realize that the technologies that have been developed and innovated in that segment of the industry the what's called the client self-directed advice industry uh, have direct applicability and, and and can be used to re-engineer how service is delivered in the full service industry. How that happens is still very much in the first the first inning. But but the nice thing is the robo advice segment of the space has effectively forced digital transformation into the core wealth management industry, and it'll be very fun over the next six, seven, eight years to see how that ultimately plays out. Amen to that one. I think that's the the biggest, um, one of the bigger benefits uh, as well. All right, next one. Buy or sell, artificial intelligence will be a technology tool utilized by more than 50% of advisory firms in five years. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to go a, a buy on that. I, I, you know, I struggle with whether those are actually the right metrics, 50% in five years. What I will say is, um, AI is super critical for the simple reason that digital 
provides data access. For the first time, a financial advisor can use account aggregate, uh, pardon me, account aggregation technology to get a view into all the dynamic moving parts of a client's household assets, their 401k, their illiquid wealth that's held over there. Maybe they've got assets with other advisory firms. Maybe they've got self-directed brokerage assets. And for the first time ever, the advisor has not just access to that information, but ongoing digital real-time changing access to that information. Uh, and, and, and so, when you think about that, um, you know, the, the decisions and, and the counsel that a financial advisor would give to a client today um, could be different than what they would give to that client as, as early as, say, five, six months from now because of things that are going on in the world, things that are going on in the household assets, not just things that are going on within the portfolio that the advisor is managing for that client. And the only way that you can really leverage all of that data and draw intuitions and draw understanding and, and actually make good decisions based on that is with artificial intelligence. There's, there's simply too much data. There's not enough spreadsheets or enough time for a financial advisor to really take the totality of available information and use it effectively to provide any service. And so AI really is going to be a critical enabling technology for assisting advisors to make sense of the totality of all the things going on really synthesize that down to what's appropriate counsel for this particular client and then guide them appropriately. Yeah. And I think that maybe they don't even know they're using artificial intelligence in five years, but the tools that they're utilizing helps them get that insight, which utilizes yeah. the AI from that standpoint. Yeah. They, would, they wouldn't call it AI, but when the system says, hey, your client uh, cut off their, their systematic ongoing contributions to their 401k, oh, and they bought this over in their brokerage account, so they've got a massive concentrated position, you might want to do this. Right. Um, they don't know that that's AI, but that is an application of AI. Yeah. Or move your emails to the top of the list of those people that have a negative sentiment of how they're responding to you so you can get to them first before the positive. Right. Absolutely. Um, all right. Number three, buy or sell. Over the next 10 years, a firm's strategic decisions on technology will have a greater impact on the firm's future versus the firm's investment strategy. Yeah, this this one is a no-brainer. That's absolutely the case. Um, I, you know, and, and this is not just connected to digital. This is also connected to kind of broader trends in the industry. But you know, financial advisors—not all of them, but a lot of financial advisors—get into the industry because they like the investment side of the business. It's interesting, right? They—they they, you've got a lot of quants, you've got a lot of CFA types that you know that like the, the investment strategy and think that they add you know, kind of real unique value and value how they construct and select investment products and solutions. And I think, you know, there's been a steady ongoing trend and I don't think it's uh, uh, temporal. I think it's, you know, it, it's systemic of uh, adoption of index technologies, adoption of ETFs, and, and really just kind of a uh, an understanding that the opportunity to add value in product and security selection and solution construction is very, very thin. Uh, and, and illusory um, and that, uh, you know, adding, you know, focusing your energies on I can build a better solution for a client and manage their money better uh, than the next advisor is really not a very strong value proposition. It's going to be around how do I engage clients, service clients um, and, and really the underlying investment strategies and solutions. 
I don't, I don't mean to devalue those completely. It's very important. It needs to be done well. But the opportunity to differentiate and add unique value on that side of the service model is, is thin and getting thinner. And I think most advisors, even those that really kind of hold themselves as strong portfolio managers with kind of deep expertise in portfolio construction, even they are actually kind of coming to the realization that, gosh, maybe I shouldn't spend as much time on that piece of my business. Maybe I need to look at the other elements of my business and, and focus there. Heck, and I mean, it seems kind of that that's just like an evolution of the of the industry, right? When, when 25 years ago, access to information, you had to call your custodian the day after to see what the market did the day before and, and right. what your client portfolio is. And now you have access to more information, you have access to more vehicles. And so it just commoditizes it a little bit more, just like we'll probably in 20 years, we'll talk about, you know, digital, the, the digital advice model. We're having to figure out how to add a little bit of a unique value because digital is already implemented everywhere from that standpoint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that gets to the last one, buy or sell 20 years from now. Um, the hu- the financial advisor for the majority of investors will not be a human. Uh, this one is tougher uh, because it, you know, I, I when I when I th- think about this one, I, I, I kind of vacillate. You know, one part of me says, no, I think, you know, the majority of people while they may kind of have what's called a digital first engagement model, um, will have a human financial advisor uh, that they can call, um, that they can get, you know, in, in it. And hopefully for a lot of them, uh, or majority of them, it will be a named personal advisor, not just somebody answering a phone at the call center. That said, you know, we all know the numbers. The vast majority of uh, Americans are, are not serviced by a financial advisor. Um, and so, you know, what digital does is it opens up the market and it provides wealth management services at a cost effective price point to the underserved market. And so when I think about existing, you know, when I think about kind of people with let's call it the affluent market, people with billion dollar plus portfolios, I think that demographic is continue to, to have a financial advisor. What's going to happen is their, their, their service model is going to evolve. But I think. Uh, I think, you know, I, I'm a buy on the, the statement generally because I think an enormous number of currently unserved and underserved consumers will come into the wealth management industry as customers and, and they will be digital first because that's the most cost effective way to service them. Yeah. Well, another the bullish uh, edition of, of buy or sell. So thank you for that, Randy. I'm going to now turn it over to you kind of for your 90 seconds. Give us something that advisors can take away from this conversation to really continue to help their firms evolve over time and that they can implement to make themselves a better firm tomorrow. And I'll give you 90 seconds and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, you know, I would just encourage advisors to hold their practice and their assumptions around what their clients need and how they service their clients. And particularly building on the last point or one of the last points we were talking about, the investment solutions they use loosely. Um, That, um, uh, you know, it's easy to look at your practice and think things aren't broken and change is hard and therefore don't. Um, And I think it's, it's harder, but much more fruitful to look at your practice, look at the way you do business and try to envision you know, uh, with new technology, what would an end state look like if, if, if all of your clients were interacting with you in a different way, if you were able to drive operational efficiency, if you had more um, uh, consistency in the investment solutions that you offered, if you were to offer digital solutions that um, had a much lighter impact on your practice and your organization, 
uh, at an end state, what would that look like? And try to get a vision for that end state rather than looking at all the obstacles between here and that end state. And I think if an advisor can kind of envision a future practice model, um, it can really allow them to say, okay, that makes sense. That future practice model makes sense. How can I incrementally get there and start to make those steps to getting in that direction? Yeah, no, I love that. It's the small steps, right? It's those, those are the ones that help you kind of get to that end goal. Trying to bite off too much will, uh, will be tough to do. And so I'll start yeah. with this. 20 years ago, the idea of being a registered investment advisor was a firm differentiator. The concept of being an RIA was new, and it really shook up the industry a bit. Some of the advantages were no commissions and being a fiduciary for the client. The sales pitch against the current players at the time they were pretty straightforward and very effective. But fast forward to today, the RIA space is much more common and the differences seen between RIAs and non-RIAs aren't as glaring. And so the value differences between advisors is beginning to get narrower by the second. Investment strategy tends, as we've talked about, to be a common tool for advisors to differentiate value. But as we all know, advisors have both good years and bad years. The tools for investing are becoming more and more standard. And clients always hate those losses much more than they appreciate the gains. So where does the future value differentiate lie for financial advisors? My personal opinion is that over the next 20 years, it will lie solely in the strategic decisions firms make with regards to their technologies. And this should be exciting to new advisors, existing advisors, big firms, and small firms alike, because the barriers to entry to becoming a technologically innovative firm are really low. And the reason, well, the fintech ecosystem is building solutions that allow for advisors to quickly implement the leading innovations in the space, just like they are doing at SigFig. And you don't have to invest in developers, designers, or IT architects, which levels the playing field. And so I'll wrap up. The challenge for advisors will continue to be their battle against inertia. As advisors, we tend to get comfortable and not liking to rock the boat. And the advisors that thrive over the next 5, 10, 15, or even 20 years will be the ones that take action with regards to their technology within their firms. Technology will be the new RI differentiator over the coming decade. So which side of the sales pitch do you want to be on? I want to thank again, Randy Bullard for joining us this week on Bridging the Gap and for everybody out there that tuned in this week to talk about the innovation happening within financial services. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 